God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. That Psalm 46 proclaims twice. Twice it lets out that very word that the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Indeed, many, many who are familiar with that hymn by Martin Luther of a mighty fortress is our God know this very psalm and its connection. That Luther drew from these words and drew from this connection to know of that great truth that he had. That God is there with us in our trials, in our tribulations. He's there in the good and the bad, in the hardships. That he is there as our rock and our refuge. That as I was reading and studying and looking at a variety of things this week, there was something that I learned that I had never heard before. Or maybe I've heard and I just since forgot. That some have called that hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God the battle hymn of the Reformation. Has anyone ever heard it called that? Or am I just the only one that was in the dark? There's a couple. I see a couple of hymns. The battle hymn of the Reformation. Now what does that mean, though? I'm in the midst of things. In the midst of all of this that's there, this hymn has all kinds of stories built up upon it, all sorts of lore of when it was sing and how, sung and how it was formed and all of those things. There are stories that are told that this is that hymn that the German Lutheran princes, when they marched into Augsburg to prevent, present their confession of faith, that this was that hymn that they sung. Whether it's true or not, we don't know. <laughs> that stories are told of King Ludwig von something, I can't remember, of Sweden, who literally in the Thirty Years' War, one that often pitched those different sides of Christianity against itself, supposedly King Ludwig had his soldiers sing a mighty fortress as they marched off to battle. Is that what you think of when you hear that song? Is that what we want to think of? That this is that song that we go off to battle against the world. So where does that song find its place? 
is that in one of the very first collections of hymns where it shows up, this is not a hymn of the battle hymn of the, of the Reformation. It is not some sort of militant, militaristic reality. What is it listed as? A song of comfort. A song that is meant to drill into our hearts and our minds the love and grace of Jesus Christ, the good news that Luther had discovered in that gospel that had been so often clouded from his sight. That Jesus Christ is our fortress. That he is our rock of refuge, that very place to which we turn. But so what is it that this psalm Psalm 46 has to say to us today is that as it reaches its very climax, as it's now been presenting all of those trials and tribulations and everything else that is now facing people down, it proclaims for all to hear, be still. Be still and know that I am God. So in the midst of your crises, in the midst of your trials, your struggles, your issues in life, when troubles come your way, how well are you doing at being still? Are you, are you able to do that? Or are you like the many of the rest of us who we like to take a more hands-on approach of things? That we like to be the one calling the shots. We like to be the one in control. We like to be the one. There's always something to do, something to be active, something there that we can accomplish. We like to be the ones behind the steering wheel of our lives. We like to take control. That this word that is used here isn't just one that calls us to be still. The meaning is one of let go. Relax your grip. Where do I take that? I take it before there were ever Disney princesses, before there was ever Disney, that there was once a song that indeed reminded us to let it go. Far before Frozen ever came along. But how good are you at letting it go? See, too many of us respond with this overconfidence of I need to be the one in control, that I've got it. See, I still remember very clearly one of those moments in my life where I said, I've got this. I was 17 years old, behind the wheel of my car, the very first snowstorm that I drove in. Not the first snow, but the first blizzard coming down, and I said, I've got this. There's a reason I ended up in the ditch that day. <laughs> there was no speed limit concerns. I've got this. There was no concerns of the other people that I nearly hit. I've got this. How many times do we find ourselves with our hands firmly clenched on our lives and we think we've got it? 
And we know that we're going to end up in that ditch and we might take somebody else out with us. But the fact is, is that there are two sides of the horse to fall off of. Certainly we can fall off on overconfidence, but we can also fall off on that overanxious. Because after all, there's worries in this life. There are things that are there. What does this psalm after all say? That it says those very words, that the earth gives way, that the mountains are moved into the heart of the sea, the waters roar and foam, and the mountains tremble at its swelling. This is not sounding like an enjoyable vacation at the beach. Is that shouldn't we be worried that we live in a world that is uncertain, a world that can be shaken, a world that is filled with unexpected things that are out there. What are we going to do about? And what are we going to do about it? And what are we going to do about it? And what are we going to do about it? We get ourselves worked up and anxious. There are kingdoms and nations that totter and fall, that there are wars and uproars and all sorts of other things. And boldly, God comes and proclaims, Be still. Let go. How? Why? I mean, when you're upset, how well do you like it when someone says, don't get so upset? Or when you're sad, don't be sad. Usually that's a surefire way to get me pretty upset with you. (laughs) We don't like being told what to do. But is that what God is telling us? Just chill out. Relax. It's going to be okay. No, he says, be still and know that I am God. For we will not fear. Why? For he is our rock and our refuge, our present strength in times of trouble, that therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains may be moved, though the waters roar and foam, that the mountains tremble, for there is a river that indeed its streams make glad the city of God. That Jesus Christ, that water of life, the one who comes in and fills our very souls, not with just simply a noisy little babbling brook, but fills us with the depths of his grace, that very fact that if God's grace were an ocean, we'd be sinking, I think the song puts it. But God comes and reminds us, be still and know. Know that I am God, that the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Have you ever thought about that, though? Are there those out there that kind of have that inquisitive mind that kind of want to raise that hand and kind of be like, why Jacob? Of all of the people that God could have chosen, Of all of the people that the psalmist could have chosen, why does he single out that God is the God of Jacob? I thought he was the God of all of us. Then why not the God of Adam, the God of Moses, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as we usually hear it in the Old Testament? Why the God of Jacob? 
What do you remember about Jacob's life? I mean, he was just a pretty chill, relaxed, hands-off kind of guy, right? No, Jacob was a grabber and a grasper. Jacob was one who was always fighting and feuding. He was going to get his hands on what was going to happen. That Jacob was the one who indeed find himself bargaining his brother out of his birthright. He's the one who then steals the very blessing from his brother by tricking his own father into giving it to him instead. And when his brother is so angry and mad that he's ready to kill him, Jacob runs away. And he meets someone just like him. He meets his match in Laban who is Jacob now comes and says that I will work seven years for your younger and beautiful daughter, Rachel, that Laban on the nights of that marriage sends the older daughter, Leah, in instead and said, oops, you're stuck with her. <laughs> it's always a bad idea to have two wives, just to let you know. The Bible makes it very clear Now, some might say, well, look, there's multiple that have had multiple wives. It always turns out bad. (laughs) Jacob was always fighting, grabbing and grasping for any leg up he could get, any benefit he could do. He was always restless for a blessing that would last, never satisfied. And yet when he finally hears that very call of God to go back home to where he was supposed to be, to do what he was supposed to do, how does Jacob respond? That his brother who now comes out to meet him, who Jacob's still deathly afraid of, what does he do? He sends first his servants with gifts for his brother. Then he sends the wife that he wasn't as big of a fan of, her children with gifts in front of them. And then the children that he kind of liked. And then the wife that he wasn't kind of certain of. And then the wife. And then he said, I think I'll stay on this side of the river. I'll just make sure that all of the camp got packed up. (laughs) Jacob just sounds like a great guy, doesn't he? I'm going to save my skin no matter what. And on that very night... Jacob met his match. That one appeared in the darkest darkness of night, and indeed, Jacob wrestled with him to the very dawn. Jacob would not let go. And when, indeed, the one who was wrestling with him said, Jacob, let go, he refused. Why? Because all of Jacob's life, he had not been wrestling with Esau or his father, Isaac. He wasn't wrestling with Laban or anyone else. Jacob had been wrestling with God. He was fighting against God's will, God's plans, God's hopes, God's promises, everything there. Why? Because he refused to be still and let go. And so on that night, Jacob met his match. And it says not that the man then hit him, 
or clubbed him or anything else, but the man touched him on his hip and his hip was wrenched out of sockets and Jacob never walked the same again. For Jacob came to realize that he himself had wrestled with God and lived. The Lord came down and met him where he was at, that Jacob was one who was a guy who didn't have his life together. Can you relate at all with him at all? You don't have to have your life together. But God invites you to be still and let go. We are not saved by our works, by our actions, by our good deeds, or we are not prevented by the wrongs that we have done. That we are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone, because of the very one who is our fortress. That he now protects us. The one who gave his life, that gave us that very hope. That Jesus invites us to be cleansed by that very forgiveness that comes from the cross, to come and drink deeply in that waters of life, and to come and find our comfort. In these storms and wars and battles of life, he invites you to come to me. Come. Find peace for your soul. For not as the world gives do I give peace. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Why? Because he is our mighty fortress. Because of this, that we can be changed. Changed not only in our lives, but changed by our prayers. Then why can we trust God with our prayers? Because of the fact that he has not let us go. It doesn't matter what comes. He's got us safely in his hands. But how does Paul put it? Paul says, Let indeed your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is with us. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The Justice Psalm 46 saw those ancient Jewish people through those times of battles and wars and enemies galore. Just as this psalm gave Luther when he felt the whole world was against him, gave him that hope and peace. That these words of Psalm 46 that proclaim that God is our fortress gives us that same hope. That as Paul says, that as we pour out our prayers and bring them to God and let them go. And say, God, let your will be done. Paul says, therefore, may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, may it guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Indeed, it is for that reason that we gather before our God in confession. For fear may be a word that we don't like to admit. It may not be something that we are comfortable with. That fear of failure or fear of the future or fear of the unexpected is that God indeed invites us to come. 
to come and find the very resolution to our fears and worry. Jesus invites us today to come and receive his peace. And so I invite you to now turn with me to our screens as we join in confession as we come before him in this prayer. We pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that we do not always abide in your peace. Too often we turn to worry and doubt rather than to prayer and trust. Too often we rely upon ourselves rather than relying upon you as our refuge and strength. Forgive us for those times that we give into our fears and grant us the assurance that you are our mighty fortress, our protection when we are weak. Amen. Indeed, our God gently reminds you, be still and know that I am God. That our Father speaks to you that very fact that he loves you, defends you, and he will never forsake you. Therefore, as a called and ordained servant of Christ and by his authority, I therefore forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.